do you have a new uh, young adult book on the way? Are you writing one? Uh, I'm working on something. I am working on something, but uh, you know, I'm not going to get rich in any of my chosen fields, <laughs> whether it's journalism or, or fiction or anything like that. So it's, it's a labor of love and it, uh, it, it takes forever and there's no payoff whatsoever. And I don't know why the hell I'm doing it, but I can't stop myself. Yeah. So yeah, there's your answer. I wouldn't know anything about that. This is Fooditor Radio is all dressed up and has no place to go. What does a restaurant reviewer do when there are no restaurants? That's what Jeff Ruby is trying to figure out as the temporarily sidelined restaurant critic for Chicago Magazine. Ruby had just contributed to the magazine's annual Best New Restaurants issue, which was on newsstands when it all came to a screeching halt. We'll talk about where we wish we could be eating right now in Chicago, and a little about our mutual hometown, Wichita, Kansas, which I know you're all dying to hear. But first, please subscribe to Food Editor Radio at the podcast app of your choice, and leave us a rating and a review at Apple Podcasts. Now here's my chat with Jeff Ruby, which took place last week, right before some big news about fat rice broke, to name one place we talk about. How are we holding up under coronavirus <laughs> sheltering in place? It's, it's so hard to answer. I have no idea how to answer that question. You know, it's like <laughs> if I complain about it, I'm completely ungrateful because my health is fine. But it's not especially fun either. We have six people in the house now because I have three kids plus my, my niece is also here. And we're like all shuffling around, around various <laughs> electronics <laughs> and, you know, like phone cords and nubbins and power strips. And, you know, it's just like, it's ridiculous because at any given point, somebody's on a zoom call or somebody, something's going on. Yeah. I think we so, had, we had all four on zoom at one point, or I was doing this and the other three were on zoom, including the school. I don't even, you know, when the younger one is on CPS, uh, zoom, I don't even want to know how that goes. Classroom is, a classroom is scary enough to me, let alone if it was all on your screen in front of you and everyone yeah. talking at once. I can't even imagine. I can't yeah. imagine. But I'm very grateful that my kids are 21 and 18. So <laughs> they're largely self-operating and do not require my constant attention. Yeah, a, a, a funny thing has happened with my kids, and that is I think they – at first it was exciting. You know what I mean? It was like, Ooh, all bets are off. Like we can do cool stuff and nobody's really. And, and now it's just like, Oh shit, this is worse than what we have way worse <laughs> than the routine of going to school all the time. I mean, like, you know, my, my daughter, who's a total introvert is just like, I got to get out of here. Yeah. I got to get out of here. <laughs> my older one was in Northern Ireland so he went oh, wow. from study abroad, total independence to back in his bedroom, which, <laughs> you know, my wife had half commandeered for stuff. Uh, the main piece oh, of furniture man. in his in his bedroom steams her suit jackets. So, <laughs> man, I came back from studying abroad at that age, the most insufferable twerp of all time. <laughs> I, I can't even imagine being stuck back in my parents' house at that moment. Yeah. 
the only thing really that's keeping us going, we, we actually, the younger one and I just got back from H Mart about a half hour ago and we're that's just nice. doing like themed weeks of cooking together. So we're kind of that's doing good. like Korean and Vietnamese this week. Cause I just got the, uh, I can't say her name, Leela Panya, uh, she simmers, whatever her name <laughs> is, uh, but yeah. her, her new grilling book, which looks great. So, um, we're going to do that this nice. week, but, uh, yeah, I mean that, that gives us something to all be motivated and focused around is that we'll get together and cook stuff. So oh, that's and, great. And try different things. So, well, we're, we're getting together in the kitchen mostly to just like, you know, to yell at each other pretty much, but uh, <laughs> the, the cooking part hasn't happened nearly as much. It's like, I'm a lousy cook. My wife's a great cook, but she's, you know, already like, oh my God, what am I going to make for these people again that they're going to hate? And of course, I'll eat anything, but my kids are, you know, I can't, I, I don't know if I can make another grilled cheese sandwich. <laughs> yeah. I know. I am th- trying to think. I think all my like standbys, we have now run through all my standbys officially. I can't think of anything <laughs> that I normally make. So, I mean, it's, it's nice to like actually get into the cookbooks that I buy and immediately shelve and never look at. But, yeah. uh, but yeah, the, uh, the usual stuff. And the trouble is anything, anything new you pick up, you have to go somewhere like H Mart and get a million new bottles of stuff. Yeah. So yeah. my cabinets are so full of like tonkatsu <laughs> sauce and you know, <laughs> things like that. So you know, my my wife when she when it all becomes too much, her her one two punches she disappears and goes to H Mart and then goes to um, oh god, what's the fruit and vegetable place out there? Oh my God! Now I'm like is it totally... Fresh Farms or Jerry's or Jerry's? Jerry's. Yeah, Jerry's yeah. is Jerry's is her happy place. Except now it's like really weird because I don't like it's one of those places that has all these like prescribed rules about where you where you're allowed to be and you can't go backwards, you know, down the aisle <laughs> and stuff like that. And and she says all bets are off now because people just you know the, the world has changed. Yeah, it's so. fre- it's Fresh Farms that I love because it's all these. You know, Eastern European and Greek, and I just described. I didn't even find it the first few times. There's a whole like Indian section that's just sort of oh, wow. in in this labyrinth of shelves that you didn't <laughs> don't normally see. But you know, I can come home with Lithuanian rye bread and all <laughs> all kinds of things, and and I'm and it's socially acceptable to be out shopping with my mask on. Um, yeah, but yeah, that's a play. The other thing I like is those the people in those shops don't screw around. I mean, the people at Whole Foods are like, "Oh my God, do I need yeah. to buy gluten free kelp for the right. you know?" <laughs> yeah, I better well, buy it all. Completely different. Yeah. Completely different demographic there. Yeah, cooking man. Maybe it's you know if if you're a bad cook, you're still better than your kids probably are. So <laughs> barely. So eating out, how is that? Are you are you doing <laughs> you doing a lot of takeout? I mean, you got six to feed. That that could get expensive fast. I'm suddenly. I feel like my job has suddenly, which I've always found exciting and awesome, but slightly ridiculous, yeah. has gotten completely ridiculous. The idea of it just seems absurd now. At the same time, my gosh, I'm I, I'm lamenting all the things that I miss about sure. dining out. All the things that rubbed me so the wrong way. Like I would kill to have somebody 
say my name is Bob and I'll be your server right now. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I would kill to eat a bad cheeseburger. I would kill for all those things. And I took them so for granted for 20 years, you know? Well, you can go get a cheeseburger, you know, there are cheeseburger places. I, yeah, I know. I know that it, it, you know, it just doesn't feel the same. And I, I actually pitched this idea about what if I did a thing about all the restaurants in Chicago that I'd always meant to go to, but like in the rush of deadlines, never had a chance to and got takeout from like, for example, I've never eaten Calumet Fisheries. I've ah. just never, it's never happened. And I'm like, this is it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And of course the, you know, Chicago magazine wasn't especially interested in, in, in that angle. Um, but I don't know why I'm not doing it anyway. You know what yeah. I mean? I should be going to all these places now. Oh yeah, toast closed, and I'm just sitting there going, "Oh my god, toast! I haven't been to toast yeah. in so long." It's toast. like, well, I mean, it's okay. I mean, toast is fine. Yeah. I'm, you know, and the lady wrote a really nice thing on Facebook, but it's not like I was, like, I have no idea what breakfast is because I never <laughs> ate a toast or anything. Right, I haven't eaten right. a toast since like 1998. But you know, a bunch of years ago, actually, in 1999. My wife and I lived in our first apartment on the corner of Halstead and Webster. It was right across from Toast. And people would start lining up there on, you know, weekend mornings so early. And we would eat in this little, like, nook in our crummy little apartment overlooking all these people waiting. And it's like, <laughs> what are they eating that is any different from what we're eating exactly. now? You know what I mean? But it, it looks so charming, though. I was a bit of a reverse snob about breakfast like that. I mean, I never go to Bongo Room. I never go to these places yeah. that are that have lines. Um, yeah. But instead, I would go to, like, uh, Belmont Snack Shop. My son and I both love Belmont Snack Shop, which yeah. is the scariest uh, you know, diner place to be had in our area, but it's kind of sweet all the time. I always like talking to the lady, you know, the lady with the cigarette voice. You know, How's your yeah. son doing? You know, that's sort of... <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's those those little things that I miss, and I, you know, I mean, I'm I'm such a, you know, what's what's the word? I go where I'm assigned to go, and I <laughs> um, uh, try not to have any prejudices one way or another but there there are things that i crave so badly that i i can't have you know or that if i had to have i would have to like go through like the awkwardness of this the sidewalk pickup and the you know yeah. like all that and I, I guess it's probably worth it yeah i'm kind of getting used to the idea that all my food is lukewarm yeah yeah um yeah so what do you miss what would you if you could go have anything right now oh god wow well, a couple of weeks ago, it was just a really, really good caramelized crust pizza. <laughs> and I wanted to go up to, um, whatchamacallit's, what's his, what was the guy's name? Burt's. The guy I'm in, guessing. yeah, Burt's, who's, who's no longer the, like, now it's whoever's running it. It's not Burt. But I still, that was one of the places that I'm like, I, I need to know whether they are continuing to uphold his, his you know, standard. And I craved it so much. And then when push came to shove, everybody's like, well, we don't want to go up to Morton Grove, you know? <laughs> so we went to Pequod's and got the usual Pequod's, which was fine. It was okay. I, I feel like Pequod's is, is so, it's either heroic or it's just like whatever. Yeah. There's, there's no in between. Yeah. Sometimes it's just like I'm eating a large loaf of bread with a whole can of tomato sauce on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's got a little crunch there. I don't know. Somehow yeah. on the end, but 
Um, I mean, I crave like just really good hole in the wall tacos or carnitas from somewhere. I mean, I, if I could get that right now, I would, I would hang up the phone and, and go, but <laughs> I have you know, my tamales ahead. on order from, uh, um, oh, yeah, I'm blanking on his name, Daniel Espinoza that, uh, oh, yeah. that Nick Kindlesberger just wrote about. Um, yeah. one of those guys I'm like friends with Facebook on and I've never actually met him and I don't actually know what he does, but you know, now huh. I will, I will have known his tamales at least. So. Speaking of Nick, at what point did Nick suddenly become like the great chronicler of everything in Chicago? Like he just kind of suddenly he just jumped over everybody else and is, you know, he's great. He's oh, terrific. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I agree. And, you know, it's like when I I went with him to go eat Indian food in the suburbs. And that's yeah. like one of those things. I mean, for five years, I've thought, you know what I really ought to do is just go out and eat all the Indian food in the suburbs. And you just can't do it as a normal person. Because, yeah. you know, what am I going to do? Haul my family out there night after night? Yeah, right. no, listen, we're just going to drive 40 minutes out to Glen Ellen <laughs> to order yeah, the same the... things you can get at Modi Mahal down Belmont. <laughs> sure. Nope. These are the things that, that I did like 10 years ago, even like when my kids were young, I could, before they had a say. And now they're just like, screw you. We're not going anywhere. And don't take the car, you know? <laughs> right. like Exactly. Um, so I don't know what Nick's, Nick's uh, family life is like, but... He's, he's somehow making it work. Yeah. Well, I mean, the first thing is just that, you know, that's his job. I mean, I could, I could do that and I would publish nothing else on Fooditor for three months. Right. I mean, right you right. know, I come, I come close to that when I do the Chinatown stuff. Uh, yeah. But, you know, he, the, with the Tribune's budget for the time remaining that it lasts and, yeah. <laughs> and all that yeah. stuff he you know he's able to just micro focus on that and it's fantastic i mean it's just great because there's yeah. there's so much of it and there's there's ne- next to nothing said about it online you know people out there yeah. have real jobs they don't obsess about their food so <laughs> nothing nothing at yeah. all yeah I, I like his writing too there's like a just sort of a no nonsense like trust that he's built up through yeah. the way that he writes. But uh, as far as Chicago Magazine and doing like best new restaurants, I, I mean, I told you, I don't really understand why they didn't put it online. Um, it's a strange choice for me. So let's explain just for the benefit of th- our three listeners. Um, sure. <laughs> Liz, actually, we are a three-digit podcast now. The one with Nagrant went over 100 listens. So hey, nice. I'm, I'm nice. impressed with that. Um, anyway, so the print version of this year's Best New Restaurants issue came out just as coronavirus mm-hmm. hit. And so they have not really put up the articles from that. And you said they're thinking of holding them until the restaurant scene reopens, although who yeah. knows how much they'll resemble the restaurant scene when it does reopen. I mean, I guess I can understand it's, it, you know, it has a, how did you like the play Mrs. Lincoln feel to it to be, <laughs> to be talking yeah. about what the, yeah. what the best restaurants are when you can't go to any of them. But, yeah. but still, I mean, it did get out there in print, just not online. Well, it, it creates sort of an awkward situation either way. You put it up, it looks totally tone deaf. Um, you, you hold it and then it just, it's like it's already out there in the print version. So, you know, you're basically people who are used to seeing things online 
are they going to go seek out a Chicago magazine on a newsstand, which probably isn't, you know, that was like a month ago. It's not there anymore. Right, right. Actually, I don't know what newsstands look like right now. <laughs> so it, it, it was just, it was just, uh, it just, it was an odd bit of timing that, that I think there was no way really to win. And I think you hit on one of the points about this, how does the play <laughs> Mrs. Lincoln sort of thing? Because when I did, I did my, my last review was RPM seafood and I happened to go on the last night before the ban happened and felt there was no way to really write a traditional review of it because who really gives a shit what I think? Do you know what I mean? Like at that moment, it seemed so absolutely preposterous to nitpick about things, no matter how much a restaurant might deserve it, even a, you know, let us entertain your restaurant, which you can scrutinize down to the nth nth degree. Uh, But it didn't really make sense. So I wrote it in, you know, kind of a, this is what it felt like to dine out at this moment. And I got a, a couple of emails from people that were really interesting. And one was just like, I want to know whether to eat at this restaurant or not. And I just thought like, what world is this person living in? Does he, is he in some alternate universe where he can go? Because I think the rest of us can't. But then he said something like, I like the writing. It just, I I came to read this hoping for some sort of normalcy. And instead I came away wanting to slip my wrists. And I was like, okay, that's putting a kind of a fine point on it, but but I understand that you kind of come to, to, to read the food stuff to at this point and always to feel, to provoke some sort of feeling in you that of comfort or whatever knowledge. And instead what he got was this great big shit sandwich of somebody talking about, you know, how horrible it felt to be in this restaurant when the whole ship is sinking. Um, so I get it. I get it. But all the same, what, what do you, what are you supposed to do as a writer at that point? Yeah. No, I think, I mean, part of what's fun about the writing about food is that it is away from the news and all the grim stuff. And yeah. it is, you know, it is pleasantly trivial, trivial in a happy way. I mean, we all got to eat. Yeah. And it's fun yeah. to read about restaurants. It's fun to think about going to these cool places. Uh, but it, it's deliberately not meant to change your life or tell you how to vote or anything else. <laughs> and right. now suddenly, oh, whoops, yeah, we're in the news too. So, I mean, it's yeah, hard. And, and, it, and it represents something really, really depressing and really awful. Yeah. Um, which the, the escape of it is gone, but like living vicariously through it is gone, all those things. And, you know, I, I don't mean to bring you down, but it's just like a lot of the – you know, people are really suffering. So this is kind of a a minor thing, but for me to say like, it's never going to be the same as it was is um, both trivial and true. You know what I mean? It's, it's, we're not going to get to enjoy things like we did. And that's a small price to pay compared to the suffering that other people are going through, but it is a suffering. It is a big change for a lot of people. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. I was talking with my older son about, you know, what are the big defining moments? You know, the Pearl Harbors, the JFK assassinations, the Watergates, yeah. whatever. And I was yeah. and I was saying, I mean, I it was obvious nine eleven was one. The world is the world before and after. I and right. at first I didn't think this was one, but as it stretches uh, on this long, 
You know, I mean, at first, I mean, if everything had been closed for two weeks, I mean, things closed for two weeks in a bad winter. That's not a big deal. Yeah, right. It would, we would have forgotten it very quickly. But six weeks, eight weeks, which is where we are now, with no assurance that it's not going to be six or eight months, I mean, yeah. that's that's going to define people's the, lives. Yeah. And I, I, I think the difference between, you know, 9-11, JFK, you know, Pearl Harbor is those were like shocking moments that happened. And then we dealt with the aftermath. This is just going on and on and on. And it's all like, I don't know when the aftermath is going to start. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, maybe we're in the aftermath. I have no idea. It doesn't seem like it, but no, when you had some, some clearly defined shocking moments, um, it feels very different than the sort of slow uh, nightmare. It's more like a war that drags on and on, you know, like, you know, the Vietnam War was a defining thing about for a generation. But people wouldn't be like, oh, it was, you know, the Miley massacre was the was the moment or everybody probably had some different moment or no moment at all. Just a general kind of feeling of, wow, this is a terrible moment. Well, you know, know, and I mean, to to get back to food writing, which is, of course, the most important part of this. um, (laughs) How did I get to Vietnam? Sorry. Should I be talking about pho instead? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was for me, I mean, it was really a question, you know, who needs anything from me at this moment? Do I need to get my byline out there? Do I need to be able to see how many likes I get on Twitter? Um, The first week or two, I was just kind of like, you know, Nobody needs me in this, in the middle of this. I had a couple of stories. I mean, I literally interviewed a bunch of restaurateurs on that Friday when, you know, that evening. I mean, literally, while we're in the meeting, it's all changing. While we're talking, you know, suddenly we're getting closer to restaurants being shut down. And then the next day was all the yahoos out for St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, Um, right. So, you know, there's a story that, I mean, the whole world changed between the time I started recording the interview and the time we were done. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, but it's also, I mean, the people who work for like daily papers and stuff, they're all on top of, you know, here's di- here's the story about dining at a distance, which is making a whole list of these things. And here's, you know, here's what Jason Hamill is saying about this. And, you know, they're kind of right. doing the news part of it. And that's not what I do. You know, I'm more, Yeah. I mean, I think of myself as more kind of a food culture writer. And yeah. even if, even if somebody gives me a hot story, I kind of like don't want to do that exactly. So, so I was right. like, what does anybody need? I mean, does anybody need my deep thoughts on what to think about this? I'm not convinced they do. So it's kind of how I wound up, doing the podcast that we are doing at this very moment um, because it was just like, you know, just talking to other people, seeing, checking in on other people seemed like as yeah. good a use of my time as anything else I could think of. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's important for us all to understand how other people are feeling right now because we're, we're, we're either completely isolated or we're stuck in some online world, which is not like exactly like the real world. Well, maybe it is. I'm not sure. But it just doesn't feel it doesn't feel good to be on Twitter as if it ever did um, to figure out what's going on in the world. And we're relying on it more and more. So I think having the like the the actual conversations, the Zoom meetings and and whatever, even if they're completely banal, are hugely important. You know, it's like it's the same with my seven year old who needs interaction with other 
with other kids. It's like I can teach her math every day and do double-digit multiplication or whatever. Wait, that's not what they're doing. Double-digit addition and subtraction. <laughs> and But I can't be a little kid playing with her. You know what I mean? So it's that interaction. I don't know. I don't know. It's 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 such a weird thing because nobody everybody's trying to explain it and nobody can explain it and nobody can explain the trauma that that people feel this sort of slow trauma yeah no we're i think we're all pressed up too close against the glass to see it so and, yeah you know and maybe we we don't know what it means until we find out the ending you know where where yeah. it goes after that i i mean you know somebody asked me the other day what i thought restaurants were going to look like when this was all over. And of course it's all conjecture and I have no idea, but it definitely seems to me that if I had to like make a guess of some sort, it would be a lot of the sort of, remember a few years ago, suddenly every chef decided it was cool to like start doing, you know, downscale food or whatever like that. Like um, to do, you know, I don't know if you want to call it like gourmet versions of, of street food or whatever, but that there would be, that that would just kind of become the norm for really good chefs eventually. Um, that the profit margins are so small, even under the best circumstances, these guys are going to need money. You know what I mean? They're going to have to turn, they're going to have to turn a profit somehow and it's not going to be, through doing, you know, 13 course prefix menus. I just, I don't see that happening. Yeah. I mean, this is it. We've all been so oriented to comfort food over these last several weeks. And particularly in the yeah. case of Alinea, which has been selling food yeah. that is not at all its own food. It's the food of its sister restaurants. It's much more, right. um, you know, next Paris, 1906 and, uh, <laughs> Royster and, and St. Clair Supper Club than anything like Alinea food. What do people who've eaten that and had that kind of Alinea food, what, are they, what will they think of Alinea if it comes back in the same form? <laughs> or does it, by necessity, evolve into something more like what it's serving right now? Because that will have been its greatest exposure to people, most likely. I assume they're, I assume they're packing up more of these containers to go out with that food than they ever serve in the yeah. dining room. And, and and will people still feel the same way about a meal at Alinea? Will they will it suddenly seem totally profane and unnecessary, or will we need it more than ever? You know, yeah. it could go either way. There's a way in which I think after this, I would be like, oh my god, I can't go eat at Alinea. How can I justify this? But on the other hand, it's one of the great <laughs> privileges and pleasures of being in Chicago if you have the the means to do it or the expense account to do it. It's like we we're allowed to treat ourselves if we can, you know? Right. I think there's going to be a lot of desire to do that. And maybe it'll be six weeks worth and then it'll kind of die out after that initial, you know, Oh, I'm glad to get back out again. Thank God for that. Yeah. But I'll tell you the other thing. I mean, I think we're all internalizing some of this social distancing stuff. I mean, this is, it's kind of silly, but I, you know, after I did my H Mart shopping, we went to Poochie's on Dempster and uh, we're like looking at the parking lot and we had to pull in between a car on either side. And I'm instinctively thinking, ah, they're too close to me. This is not good. <laughs> and, you know, 
I, are we going to be comfortable with that? And like everybody had masks on, except then one guy came in without a mask and we're all just looking at him like, you know, unbeliever out with me. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I know. I, I still don't have a mask and I, I feel like I'm getting closer to that moment where I go out and if I'm not wearing a mask, somebody's going to, yeah. you know, every time I walk the dog now and somebody's coming the other direction, it's like, Oh, is this going to be a confrontation? Yeah. So, uh, uh, I mean, for, you know, I'm already socially weird. It's like uh, trying to figure, figure out these things, uh, in, you know, normal circumstances are hard enough. Um, when, when people are going, crossing the side, you know, to the other side of the sidewalk to avoid being near you, um, it, it's obviously, it's beyond my abilities to figure yeah. it out. Yeah. And to not take it personally, it, but at the same time, if they don't do it to feel that they're naughty you know they're they're, right, they're right. bad neighbors in my neighborhood yeah uh, <laughs> that one one of the things i was going to say regarding some of these restaurants um in in at least the ones in chicago magazine's best new restaurants is i just feel bad for restaurants that have spent years waiting to open and this just this happened at this moment you know like Supercana international is a really cool restaurant and I didn't I wasn't crazy about it the first time I went and then it got a lot better and then it got really good and then the shit hit the fan and now it's like who knows what it's going to be I don't know but it just seems unfair to people who spent all this time and money working up to something the timing is it's just I don't know it's unfair it's just unfair yeah. Well, let's talk about some of those places. I mean, we don't have to talk about them in terms of the list particularly, but yeah, I mean, there are, mm -hmm. there are these new places that were exciting and, you know, the best you can say is they're all on hold. You know, I hope, I mean, mm -hmm. you had Jong at number one, which I love too. Yeah. And I think, let's see, I've got my food at 99 right here. I believe it's number two. Uh, so, you know, obviously you were way ahead of the game on that. Like, <laughs> you, you knew about, you knew about Dave Park before anybody. No, wasn't he still in culinary school when you wrote about him? <laughs> no, no, actually I have to give credit to Nick Kindlesberger for that. He, he found him in that food mall. Uh, oh, way back when, but I, I went there early fun. and often to Hanbun. So, um, yeah. And actually, I really loved, I mean, much as I love Jong, I wish Hanbun could coexist alongside it. I know. Um, wouldn't it be cool? Because the, the just the really high-quality, simple Korean food for lunch is a beautiful thing, uh, as nice as going for a much more expensive and fancier dinner to Jong is. You know, when, when I went to Hanbun and, and reviewed it, actually, there was something you said to me around that time that totally influenced me about like star ratings and stuff like that. And I don't, I can't remember if we were doing star ratings then, but you had this thing where it was like Chicago magazine will give three or four stars to restaurants that, you know, were expensive basically back then. And you're like, but if Hanbun is doing its thing perfectly, it's a four star restaurant. You said something like that to me. And as I was writing, I'm like, this restaurant is so good at what it does. Like, how can it be anything other than, than, getting the best review possible. Like, what is it trying to do that it's failing at? There was nothing I could think of. And 
it kind of made me frame it and think about it differently. I think that's one of the hard things with stars, and it's why I don't do them. And I, But I also find it hard, like when I do the Food and 99, in terms of the order I put things in. It's very hard not to internalize something about money into your yeah. ratings. That the place that has enough money to do things on a really high level, you know, because they've got 14 chefs in the kitchen, you right. know, gets a higher rating than the place that does a traditional dish really, really yeah. well because mama's in the kitchen. I, I think I've, I've gotten better over the years at being able to see through the ones that are just smoke and mirrors. Like for a long time, it takes a lot of a lot of doing or a lot of eating out, I guess, to like be able to, you know, something looks really good on the plate and the waiters are smooth and the, and the place feels great and everybody around you is good looking, you can almost trick yourself into believing that the food is really great when it's not. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I, I'm, I'm so far past that now, thank God. But it took me a long time. Well, it's also just hard when it's, you know, it's the one thing. I mean, you know, Biriara Zaragoza is a perfect example of that. I mean, it's basically a one-dish restaurant. Right. That dish is so good, and it's so right, artfully. It's yeah, it's perfect. It's artfully made. It's taken super seriously. But how do you compare a one-dish restaurant head-to-head -head with, you know, with Grace, you know, the, yeah. that kind of place? Um, and to me, it's just kind of, you know, it's like with movies. It's like, how do you compare a Bugs Bunny cartoon to an Ingmar Bergman movie? Well, you kind of <laughs> can't. But everything is about what it's aiming to be. And right. if it realizes its own goals perfectly, you know, it deserves the highest rating for what it is. I think Chicago Magazine for a lot of years was because it's, you know, aimed at more of an upscale demographic. Couldn't we're, we're a little bit late um, <laughs> realizing that that, you know, fundamental truth about restaurants Um and thank God it eventually happened, you know? Yeah. No, I think that's really true. I mean, I said that last year that, that you know, it was finally like the list of my dreams because it, <laughs> it, cause it did mix up all kinds of different places and take them more or less seriously. And I think this, yeah. this year's list was very much in the same vein. Um, the hard one for me, I was talking about this with, with John Kessler, hard one for mm. me is Chinatown. It's hard to think about how to approach Chinatown for a list like that, I think, because yeah. so much opens and it's not easy to distinguish between it. He asked me, so like, what's the one place in Chinatown that you would push for this? I'm like, I can't name one. Yeah. It's not like there's yeah. one, there's not one Birria Zaragoza that leaps out right. of the Chinatown list. There's a whole bunch of places that have some really good dishes in some areas of Chinese food that we don't, you know, that we haven't necessarily had before here. But yeah. And that, the, frankly, the framework of doing these, these lists doesn't really account for outliers like restaurants in Chinatown because with the, let's just say the diminishing budgets that Chicago Magazine has, we're going to these restaurants once, um, you know, maybe twice at most, and eating a lot less than, let's say, we used to in 1998. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's just, it's not, it's not like it was 
when you would go several times and order a thousand dollars worth of food and wait two months and, you know, like do that whole thing. It's just, it's a quick hit now. And it, it's not really necessarily as fair to the restaurants as it could be, but that's the reality of the world we're in, you know? And honestly, I don't think it's a bad thing because I mean, it'd be good to try them more and have more of a basis, but the idea that, oh, well, if you only go once, you don't know what the restaurant's like. But if you go three times, you know what it's going to be like every night. Well, that's just not true. They're all going to be right. different. I know. It's a fallacy, of course. I mean, I, ideally, the people that are going, you know, like John Kessler does plenty of eating out. So before we even get to the list of places, we've got a pretty good basis for where yeah. what is going to be, you know, relevant and what's not. Of course, there's so many places that, fall through the cracks and i you know uh, i mean these lists you, you've taken me me and chicago magazine to task many times over the years for these lists and i feel like but only with love <laughs> with love we're finally getting closer to like getting you know uh, a nice solid good egalitarian list and and now somebody just like throw, throws a wrench in the works and poor me yeah. it's all about me <laughs> and my list yeah yeah now, I no, I really have been happy that you know you just you make that effort to understand the different kinds of food that are around the city, and sometimes I mean it takes a while. There are a lot of you know I observed this a lot on LTH Forum back in the day that you know with Thai restaurants, it's not till like ten people had been and dug into the menu ten different ways. That you started yeah. realize, oh yeah, if you if you look at it in terms of these dishes, this is a great Thai restaurant here. This is not your typical, you know, pad Thai takeout joint. Um, yeah. And that could easily take two years for that to happen. So, yeah. catching it in its first year and saying, oh yeah, this is one of the great Thai restaurants in town. Um, it would be luck to do that. Really, it does right. take. It just takes a certain amount of legwork from a lot of people. And that at least is the advantage as the publications like Chicago have less ability to eat at places five times each. Right. Now it's people online, you know, eat at, eat at them 50 times and have their varying opinions mm-hmm. and things right. sort of sift out of that. But now the slam dunks are so much easier, like wherewithal, which, yeah. you, know, you know, from the very beginning that they know what they're doing and that you can pretty much rest assured that it's going to be good all the time. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, and I thought, uh, I don't know, what were the, I stupidly did not bring the, the actual magazine down here. Oh, sorry. I'm, so, so I'm looking at the PDF right now. <laughs> we, had, we had Young number one. Uh, Kiko was number two. There was some talk about maybe that putting that at number one, and in the end we, uh, in the end we decided it was just a, kind of a notch less exciting and less, uh, well, it's it's plenty exciting. Um, it just didn't it didn't quite measure up. Wherewithal was three. Uh, Suko was four, which I was surprised by how much I loved. Um, and Galit was number five. And I got to go through the whole list here, but yeah, um, no, and that's a nice picture of what was good this year. And you know, it's a nice variety of things. I mean, Wherewithal and Galit are certainly not that. I mean, they're expensive compared to McDonald's, but they're not that expensive. <laughs> right. And they're, you know, and they're out in the neighborhoods. 
Um, you know, one of the thing that always, things that always amazes me is is if you look at the the beard best chefs Midwest of the last couple of years, they're all you know none of them are downtown. They're not in the West Loop. They're all yeah, you're right. up in Avondale and Logan Square and and stuff like that. So that um, seems like a really good sign. I mean, I, I went back through some of the old Chicago Magazine, you know, best news from like 1999, and it was every single place is from downtown to the West Loop, you know. But we had like a mandate to get like two, at least two suburban places in, and you could always tell by the writing that it was like, you know, <laughs> trying to say like without without being obvious. Well, it's good enough. Yeah. Um, or but I always think of like Libertad in Skokie, which I really like. Libertad, yeah. 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 Would it be one of the best restaurants in Chicago? No. Is it a really nice find in Skokie after you've gone to the movies up there or something? Yes. So. Well, and you know, last year we we had this big debate about Virtue, and Virtue is like become a much much better restaurant over the past year. But yes, I wasn't a big fan of it initially, and. Others were, and it when it came down to it, it was like, would you travel across the city to go to it? And I think the answer now, well, if it was a restaurant right now, um, would be yes. But I think back then the answer was no. Yeah, good so. for good for Hyde Park is like good for the suburbs back <laughs> then. Now I thought your review yeah. of Virtue was was really nice in in Thank just you. talking about how a place grows into itself. You know, which which most do. I mean, it, I, I remember when I was first going to like Parachute and Fat Rice both. And I went a few times within, say, this first six months because there'd always be someone else who, I haven't been to Fat Rice yet. Oh, let's go. Yeah. And huh. it was significantly better each time. And it's like, that's the happiest thing. When a place you liked well enough at the start, you know, is is yeah. leaps and bounds better by the third or fourth time. So. That's in a way that's an even better feeling than a place that just opens perfect. Because when they open perfect, you can't. It doesn't happen very often, but I mean, I think about Grace opening like just kind of beautifully. It made it somehow like less identify. Like I can identify with them. They were too perfect. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> but like watching Fat Rice get better and better over the years, it felt more real to me. Yeah. But I have to tell you, my 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 Fat Rice uh, my Fat Rice Association, and this is pretty gross, but. I went there, the last time I went there actually was right after I had uh, helped do an autopsy for a column that I was working on. And so I still was kind of thinking about parts, autopsy type <laughs> things. And then I ate it fat rice. And my wife is just like, how can you possibly be eating? I'm like, I'm so hungry. I'm so hungry. But, you know, it's just like the now in my mind, those two are completely, oh. you know, linked forever. <laughs> But I loved it anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I was, uh, I remember writing about them when, for Grub Street, when they were mm-hmm. going from the, uh, you know, underground dining X marks to being Flower and Bone. I think that was the name. Oh, yeah. And, you know, that lasted about that weekend because they got, oh, right. you know, they heard from 800 vegans who didn't want them being named Bone. So. <laughs> Man. So fat rice was a much I'll, better. I'll piss better off the vegans. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder about places like, like Claudia, you know, which I thought was really interesting and exciting. But like, isn't he like the hardest just, luck guy at this point? Yes. Yes. I mean, he. Yeah. 
the guy's super talented and I, I feel like that place should be a big deal. And it's, I mean, again, who knows, who knows what's going to happen, but plenty of smart people out there, they're going to figure out how to adjust. Hopefully, you know, we'll see who, who can and who's, who's got such an ego that they can't adjust. I don't know. Or maybe it's not about ego. Maybe it's about pockets or who knows. I mean, Trevor has been so good at running on a shoestring outside of the, the food ingredients. Yeah. um, Yeah. That he probably will be fine. I'm sure he's like chewing his nails off at the moment, but, um, but he's industrious and has figured out how to do it. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, the ones, I mean, the first things I expect to see close, and I'm going to be careful not to say any names here, but, (laughs) but I just think of like the places where, you know, the group put a restaurant in a hotel, uh, because the hotel needs a restaurant. Yeah. But, but, nobody particularly i mean the the places are fine and they're well they're probably well done but does anybody love these restaurants i kind of think those are the ones that are going to go first they're just you know when 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 things reopen the groups will look at you know what what matters and what doesn't to them and those places will will go who knows if the hotels will even survive either so right 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 yeah and and the notion of a hotel having to have some up, you know, some well-known uh, chef or restaurateur connected to be like considered a real hotel. Like, I don't know if that's going to be a thing. Will that be a thing? Who knows? Right. I mean, why do you have to have a breakfast place in your hotel when you're downtown and there are 11 breakfast places within two blocks? You know? yeah, I don't know. If your if your hotel's opposite of Beatrix, just send people to the Beatrix. You know, it's fine. <laughs> I don't love Beatrix, but it nails what it sets out to do. So just do that. Yeah. Yeah. I think of, I mean, this isn't a group, so it's not kind of the same thing, but I think of like, you know, the guy doing stuff at the Albert, um, you know, which is, it's a nice little restaurant, but it's never full. And is that going to be there? You know, is anybody going to need that back? when it's, you know, when all this ends, I, th- I think those are the kind of things that we're going to see serious decisions made about. But, yeah. Yeah, I agree. What do you want to have back right away? What in, in the alternate universe <laughs> where none of this has happened, where are you going tonight? Ooh, man, what a question. <laughs> um, I want to go to a VEC. <laughs> I just, yeah. I, I feel, I feel like that would just be like the perfect place to break to break all this, you know, it's, um, so fun and so close to other people, but, you know, have you, have you watched movies since this has happened and seen a crowd of people and been like, Oh no, 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 this is no a sure. little, like a little, yeah. If there's sort of this knee jerk reaction of, Oh, these people are too close together. Like we were talking about a VEC is just like, you're all over each other completely. Is that, are people ever going to be comfortable with that again? I don't know, but it was, it was so fun. If you did social before. distancing at a vec, you could only have four people in there. <laughs> right, right, right. It makes no sense anymore. But my God, it was it was so fun and the food's so good. I, that's what I crave. And it's not just the food; it's the the feeling of being in this exciting, crowded room with people who are who are having fun. You know? How about you? Yeah, I kind of. It's funny. I've kind of had the wish to go to a bar. 
And it's funny because I don't really go to bars very much. I don't write about oh. the cocktail scene that much because I just don't live that way. And, yeah. you know, but I like doing it once in a while. But right now, yes, just the whole idea of bar culture. I would go to one. I would sit at the bar. I would peruse the drink menu carefully to pick something that had like, you know, a caparina made with, you know, house made or geet or, you know, or, or whatever, oh however God. you say that. Um, you know, whatever, whatever odd things are on the, the menu, I, you know, and just kind of live that life, which really isn't my life for an evening. And I can't, it's the one thing I can't do. Um, yeah. It sounds really, really appealing right now. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. We've yeah. got a stock of liquor cabinet here. Right. But I'm just not inspired to, I don't know, maybe cause I, I mean, I could, I can follow the instructions exactly, but I don't feel like I have any bar skills to speak of. You know, I grew up, well, you know, yeah. you, we're both from Kansas. We're both from Wichita. Yeah. Well, I grew up at the absolute zero point of cocktail culture. <laughs> you know, the yeah. Pina Colada song, man, that was the soundtrack <laughs> of my drinking days. Um, Except you, you live further east than me, so maybe I live closer to the uh, absolute zero of of cocktail culture. Uh, where where'd you live? I think. I mean, you went to Capen, right? Right. I went to Capen Mount Carmel okay. High School in Wichita. Yeah. So I went to I went to uh, to southeast. So I lived uh, I lived off of Tenth Street. I was near like like Thirteenth and Woodlawn. Oh yeah, no my my grandparents lived right. I worked at the McDonald's there. Ah, that was like my that was my McDonald's. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, Love it. Now, do you, I don't know, do you go back to Wichita or do you try not to? I, I try not to if I can help it. But. Uh, I went a few years ago and took a couple of my kids and, you know, they, they dutifully went on the uh, the tour of dad's childhood. They, they really could care less, of course, but it was fun to, fun to show them and see some old friends. But, like, my family's not there anymore. Um, so it's, it's been a while for me. It's been a few years. To me too, it's so changed. I I was there several years ago, and a couple of friends of mine, we went to a bar near where I worked in my first ad agency job, and huh. so like down toward kind of the the new hipster district, which I can assure you was not a hipster district then. <laughs> and uh, yeah. you know they're like, oh yeah, this place has a really good Belgian beer list and house made pastrami, and I'm just like. I'm sorry. I what? thought we were in Wichita. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's true. Once they they put in the overpass, everything changed. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's fine, but it, I mean, it's actually it's really encouraging to me. It's what I felt about you know. There's that book, Burn the Ice, that came out last year that was sort of about food culture is dead now. I'm like, dude, uh, you're so wrong. So. It's everywhere. Yeah. It's not only alive, yeah. it's alive in places it never dreamed of being before, like Wichita. So I, Yeah, and I, I think the, the surest sign of that, well, there's a lot of signs of that, but like the surest sign for me for so long was just suddenly you could get good beer anywhere. Yeah. Anywhere. And yeah. I think, I remember doing a bar guide book in Chicago in, you know, this is in the year 2000, I think, 2001. And if a place had more than like 10 beers on tap, it was like considered a beer bar. It was like a really exciting <laughs> thing because that meant they had at least a couple that were beyond the usual things. And now that's that's a joke. I mean, you know, it, it's absurd just how much things have grown since then. 
Yeah, yeah. No, I think about, I mean, one of the things I really want to do now, my older son is 21, is just like tootle around uh, Northwest Indiana, which has a gazillion oh, yeah. brew pub, you know, breweries, not all yeah. named Three Floyds. And they're just, <laughs> you know, they're, they're everywhere and people, you know, bike between them and stuff like that. You know, maybe there's, yeah. I, I don't know if there's even a way to do that at this moment. Maybe <laughs> you sort of can, but, um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, I'd love, I'd love to do that. And that's just such a, such a different thing from, you know, what, Northwest yeah. Indiana ever was in her imagination. Well, so we spend, I mean, my family spends a lot of time out there because my, my, my wife's uh, parents had a summer house that we've sort of luck, lucked into. So we spend a fair amount of time out there. Um, and a couple times we have gotten takeout from stop 50, the pizza place oh, yeah. there. Sure. It's, it's still, it's so addictive. I mean, I've been, I've been talking this place up for years. I just, I love it. I love I love the people that, that run it. Like everything about it just seems like it's like an American treasure. And um, the other day we went and got takeout from there and they had like, a, there was just a line of cars. There were tons of people there, which mean made me feel really good. Cause yeah. like, I really want, want them to survive. Yeah. No, that's a great place. A little Neapolitan place that uh, yeah. literally is named for the, you know, the speck on the road where, <laughs> where it happens to be and you know they're like picking their basil from the boxes in front of the restaurant and stuff like that right yeah great great place yeah exactly i mean that's just you know all it takes is somebody who wants to make things better than the food service way and they start doing it and that can happen anywhere in america now you know all it it takes is your you know your credit card and a fedex envelope that's right and that guy there at Stop Fifty now has his like his his son is making pizzas back there too. I mean, it, oh nice! Somehow that, that that seems like a like a good sign of the future. Yeah, yeah. There's a future. That'll be the <laughs> we, can, we can say that as the the headline of this episode that we we found There's some a future. we found some future maybe with a, a question mark and an exclamation <laughs> point. There's a future. I don't know. Thanks for listening to Fooditor Radio is all dressed up and has no place to go. And thanks to my guest, Jeff Ruby. Music is by Kevin McLeod. Please subscribe to Fooditor Radio at the podcast app of your choice. And consider leaving a rating and a review at Apple Podcasts to help other people discover it too. Thanks 